<laughs> it's great to have uh, the company of Christ-filled, God-loving, generous people who understand building the kingdom of God is the most important thing. Can I get an agreement? Amen. So I've been teaching a series on the kingdom of God in the first half of this series. This is message number 12, and I think at least six of the messages initiated starting on the authority we have and the power we have as a result of the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is here. I thank God that because of this revelation very early in my preaching life, and I was going to say career, and that's not correct. This is not a career. It's not a profession. Uh, it, it, it is a lifestyle. You have this lifestyle too if you choose to step into it and walk into it. But I remember as a young preacher pioneering a church, and God very clearly gave me a revelation that when Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, which sounds futuristic in our sense of grammar, that in the Greek, it literally is a present tense verb. Everybody knows what a present tense is, right? You are present tense here right now. Stand up for a moment. Start jumping up and down and flap your arms around. She is present tense happening. She's a verb. She's shouting. She's waving her hands. She's jumping up and down. Erkomahi, thy kingdom come, is a present tense verb. It's not only here right now, it's happening. You see, I believe in miracles because the kingdom of God is happening all around me. It's happening all around you. If we see with the eyes of religion, we're going to look at Jesus historically. But when we understand that he is the great, I am that I am, I always was, I always am, and always will be, and he never changes, we see him through the eyes of revelation and not through the eyes of history. The kingdom of God is now, the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is happening all around us. I live, I breathe, I speak, I sing, I shout, I walk, I talk, expecting the miraculous of God because now is the kingdom of God and now is God our Father. Can I get an agreement? Give him the praise. Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. And so the first six weeks or so, I taught and preached on the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. And in the last few weeks, I've been teaching Kingdom attitude, kingdom mentality, kingdom culture. We understand our American culture. We understand our rights. We understand what is beholding to us as the citizens of the United States of America. It grieves me that the sons of God don't know their daddy well enough to understand their rights of sonship and their rights of inheritance and their rights of citizenship. I live in this world, but I live in the kingdom of God in this world. We live for the moment behind enemy lines 
but I am not going to live in fear. I am not going to live in oppression. I will not live under the shadow of the hand of darkness. They are under my feet through the blood of Jesus Christ. Every day you wake up, the devil wants to convince you that he is the God of this world. And he may be the God of this world, but he is not the God of my world. Hallelujah. He doesn't pull the strings over my life. He may pull the strings over billions of people, but he doesn't pull the strings over my life. The government that I live under is on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement, church? Amen. And so I've been preaching kingdom attitude, kingdom culture, kingdom concepts. Uh, uh, if you don't understand America, you will never appreciate it. If you never understand the founding fathers and what was in their heart and what they escaped from and what they came here for, you will never truly appreciate and understand what this nation is about. In like manner, if you don't understand the heart of your father, if you don't understand that he looked on the earth and he saw demons parading humans like they're puppets, if you don't understand that it broke God's heart to see Adam once created in his image, now fallen and worm-eaten by demonic activity, people walking around with weeping sores emotionally and mentally and physically, if you don't understand that, that God looked on the earth with great compassion and said, that's it. I am going to take on flesh and I will go there and I will pay the price to translate people from their present misery into my kingdom. I will pay the price. And on that cross, he paid the price and said, it is finished. And we, the church, live life from the finish line that Jesus made as a demarcation in the sand between the kingdom of darkness and us. Who said good preaching? Thank you. Phil, stand up. Now let me hear you preach. Now stand up again. Stand up again. I want everybody to say, thank you, Phil, for cheering the pastor on. Amen. Listen, I don't often need a bone to be thrown to me. I mean, I'm like a passionate, wild little dog wants to yap, yap, yap about the goodness of God. But there are times it's good to throw the pastor a bone. And let me tell you, don't just do it for my benefit. The more you emotionally engage with the truths that come out of the word of God, the more you emotionally possess those truths. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Good on you, Steve. Thank you, buddy. I'm glad you're in my corner. Hallelujah. My title this morning, the, the title of the series is What Gospel Do You Believe? And my title this morning is Rewards, a Kingdom Concept. Rewards, a Kingdom Concept. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30, now for the last 
Five weeks, this will be the sixth, but for the last five weeks I preached, what kingdom are you living for? This is all part of the second half of the series, kingdom culture, kingdom attitude, kingdom mindsets. Uh, what kingdom are you living for? I know I preached that today will be six weeks ago, but I'm asking the question again. What kingdom are you living for? We get so caught up living in the kingdom of self and copying the kingdom of the United States of America. I live in a kingdom, within a kingdom. I live in the kingdom of God, and I live for the kingdom of God. And how different Christianity would be if Christians got their head out of the world and into God's world, and we started living for the kingdom of heaven on earth. Amen. Then I preached, whose business is it anyway? We are so concerned about the business of our life that we fill ourselves with the busyness of our business. And Jesus was found in the temple as a 12-year-old kid. His parents had misplaced him, and they had already gone home. They were traveling a couple of days, and they race back, and they find him. And the first thing they say to Jesus is, why did you do this to us? Isn't it amazing when poop happens in life, our reaction to God is, why did you do this to me? Human nature will always assail the character of God. And so Jesus' parents said, why did you do this to us? And very calmly, he looked at them and said, you should have known that I would have been about my father's business. I ask you again, whose business is it anyway? The business of your life, whose business is it anyway? You want to enjoy the kingdom of God? You want to experience more of God's kingdom in you? You want to walk and live in the culture of God's kingdom? You want to see the miraculous? Then you must get into harmony and into agreement with the culture of God's kingdom. You cannot live contrary to the culture and contrary to the laws of the United States of America and, and enjoy the benefits of it. And likewise, you cannot walk contrary to the culture, the attitude, and the spirit of the kingdom of God and then expect the kingdom of God is going to show up all around you. We want to be spiritual ballerinas in a jewelry box and when you lift the lid, and we just want it all to happen magically not understanding that this is life and therefore it's a lifestyle and it's a journey and we walk with Jesus and we let Jesus talk to us and guess what? We let him change us. I'm constantly having to change my opinions. I'm constantly having to change my perspective because my opinion doesn't always line up with his and when it's him versus me, guess who's always right? Him. And guess who's always wrong when there's a contradiction? Me. And I settled that, Nick, a long time ago. There's one thing I am absolutely convinced of. He is good, and I'm so-so. I'm pretty good a lot of the time. But I am not intrinsically good. But he is. And I trust him.
It's not about religion. It's about knowing the heart of who God is. <laughs> Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, you got your hair cut from that, po- you know, you had an awesome ponytail. I'm thinking of growing one. <laughs> but then I'll definitely have more hair hanging down in the back than I have anywhere on my body. Uh, and I didn't recognize you straight away. And so I, I asked him, is this your first time? <laughs> that was about three weeks ago. Uh, I'm glad you didn't get offended and you keep coming back. Somebody else would get offended. But anyway, kingdom culture rewards a kingdom concept. And so I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, that is Jesus, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus responds, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. In today's vernacular, language and the meaning of words have changed drastically. In today's common English, good is, eh, it's good. Husbands, let me give you a a marital Heads up. When your wife spends three hours in the kitchen after having worked all day and she puts a meal on the table and uh, she's got sweat pouring out and, you know, she, she really went to town, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it smells like, regardless of what it, it might taste like, don't say, yeah, it's good. Because you'll be calling me at 2 a.m. in the morning wanting to set up a counseling appointment. And I won't take your call. You see, today in the English vernacular to say it's good, yeah, it's good, means it's, it's, it's okay. It's average. I got two friends. They cracked me up. And uh, we, we often go deep sea fishing. He just now moved to the east side of uh, Florida. And uh, he's a physical therapist. And my other buddy, uh, would, from New York, you know, Lebanese, New York background, and he would tell all of his friends about our mutual friend who's a physical therapist. Oh, man, he's above average. He's above average. And this was his expression. And so one day the physical therapist said, you know, I I get a little bit offended. Why do you tell everybody I'm just above average? He said, what are you talking about? You're above average. That means you're awesome. He says, no, that's not what it means. Above average, I'm average and I'm just a little bit above. He goes, no, 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 that's not what it means. So he gets on the phone for a third party interview. He says, Pastor Rob, what does it mean? You know, Jason and I having this conversation, what does it mean when you say it's above average? He says, that means it's brilliant. He's fantastic, right? I said, no, it means he's just a little bit better than good. (laughs) So now it's a joke. Hey, dude, you're above average. (laughs) Today's English, it's good. It's barely anything that's impressive. 
but we have to understand Bible language. And so to do that, sometimes we need to dig a little bit deeper. And I encourage every one of you, if you're seriously gonna uh, get everything you can out of God, you need to become a student of the Bible. You, you really do. This is the book of life. And, and I research this, I study this, you know, there are people that study Bitcoin. There are people that study politics and they know what this senator stands for and this politician and this party. And yo, could we get that passionate about the word of God? Jesus answers and says, no one is good except God. So the word good in the context of this conversation can't be just average. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. And so this ruler recognized the divine goodness and the essence of God in Christ. You see, in God's vocabulary... Something is only good if it's perfectly pure. No tinge of gray. A movie came out some years ago. No, I did not see it. And I hope you did not. Nor did I read the book, Fifty Shades of Gray. Let me make a correction. When you look at humanity, there's over a gazillion shades of gray. And I don't mean that with any sexual connotation whatsoever. What I mean is that the best of us all have tinges of gray in our life. Is everybody following me? When this young ruler said, good teacher, Jesus was asking a very pertinent question because the answer to this question, which the guy never got, he religiously said, Jesus, you're a good teacher. If he really understood the goodness of God, he would not have walked away a very sad person. And as he's conversing with Jesus, the mere fact that he says good teacher meant that there was some type of observation inside of him, some kind of mental recollection or acknowledgement that this wasn't a mere man because man on his own is a fallen being. And every one of us disappoint, and every one of us are disappointed. Hello? Absolutely. The devil appointed us to be disappointed and to be disappointing. God appointed us before the fall to walk in his glory and in his image and in his likeness. And so this man says, thank you, Russ. You know, the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. The shepherd knows the, sheep of the, the voice of the sheep as well. I don't even have to look up. I know your voice, Russ. Thank you. The, this ruler recognizes the divine goodness and the essence of God in Christ. Since no human being is morally good in this sense, good, not even a hint of gray. There's no tinge. It perfectly morally pure. Maybe he actually recognized that this teacher was the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, the anointed one that Israel was waiting for. Because you call no man good. And yet he called Jesus good. And Jesus was getting to the heart of this issue. He says, why do you call me good? You know 
no man is good, morally pure and perfect in thought, in attitude, no sense of prejudice, no bias, no ingrained crookedness. You know that. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. There was a, a slight belief that this could be the Messiah. And the conversation goes on. But let me say this here. The word good in the Greek, if we were to look this up in the Greek original manuscripts, it is the word agathos. Agathos. It means intrinsically good, good in nature. Now, most of us read at a grade three, grade four level. That is, that is not an insult. Uh, newspapers are generally written, pitched at a grade three, grade four level of understanding. Everybody agree with me, our education system needs a lot of polishing up, okay? Uh, but it is recognized that, uh, and, and that's the grade level they pitch to. So for my benefit, not yours, you're probably a lot more intelligent than me, and intelligence isn't where, really where it's at. Uh, heart recognition, spirit recognition is. But nonetheless, for my benefit, I looked up the word intrinsically because we really do miss a lot of stuff. So here I am going to the original Greek to look up the word good, and in the original Greek, it says intrinsically good, and so then I have to go to the uh, Webster, Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary or the Oxford dictionary or some kind of dictionary and say, okay, what does intrinsically mean? And the best way to describe the word intrinsically is to take synonyms of this word, which means other words that mean the same thing. And so these are some of the words that are synonyms of intrinsic. Inborn, naturally, or natural, constitutional. Constitutionally, inside, to the very inner moral fiber, God is absolutely good. Are you getting the picture here? Okay, so intrinsically good means deep to the core. What is the constitution made up of? Uh, the built-in, ingrained, inseparable essence of who that person is. There's another word. It's, also, it's the word inherent. It is also uh, a synonym of uh, intrinsic. And the word inherent means existing in something as a permanent, essential, or characteristic attribute. The word good in this context, when this man said, good teacher, he was saying, agathos teacher. He was saying, teacher, I recognize that you are morally pure to the point that you are divine. It's interesting that this man had a concept that this could be the Messiah, that this could be God in the flesh, that this could be the promise of heaven come to earth. And at the end of his conversation, even though he starts with that concept in his mind, the Bible says he walked away sad. Sometimes as born-again Christians, we have a concept of who God is but not the conviction of who God is. And so when our ideas conflict with God's ideas, because that concept isn't a conviction, we walk away sad. 
Good preaching. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, give him the praise. I'm going to put a couple of phrases up on the screen and feel free. You know, I'm not a note taker. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I'm at conferences, I see something I like on the screen. I get my cell phone out and I put the camera on and I start, start taking uh, pictures. That's the best way for me to take notes. Uh, feel free to do that. The first phrase I want to put up on the screen is this. This is essentially what I'm talking about right now. This issue of good teacher, the acknowledgement that this young ruler made. This is essentially absolutely necessary to understand. Without this revelation of the goodness of God, you will always struggle to get anywhere in God. This issue of, is he good in this Greek biblical context? Is he good? Is there prejudice in him? Does he look at me differently than he looks at my brother? Does he have a different attitude to me than he does of a person of a different color? Is he biased? Is he prejudiced? Does he have preconceived notions of me and therefore makes judgments on the whispers of what he heard rather than the revelation of who I am? You see, to understand that God is good, to understand that God is flawless, to understand that his purposes for you are always righteous and they're always just, we put God on the, uh, uh, on the stand and we judge him based on our opinion of circumstances. We can't see what he sees. And so when life is happening in the middle of our situation, we judge God based on what we know. God acts based on what he knows. This is essentially absolutely necessary to understand. Without this revelation, you will always struggle to get anywhere in God. Whether you're trying to get a healing, or whether you're trying to get a breakthrough financially, or whether you're just trying to develop a relationship after scores of broken human relationships, and you're having trouble Hugging him and opening your heart and getting honest and real and raw. You will never get anywhere in God, essentially, if you don't come to the revelation that he's good. He's not like everybody else. Do me a favor, please. Would you do me a favor? The person next to you didn't hear it loud enough. So I want you to tap them on the shoulder and said, did you get that? Now, if you went left, go right. If you went right, go left, do it again. The next statement that I wrote, get your camera ready if you want to take a picture of it. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate these are forever in my notes. Those of you who have signed up to get uh, the sermon and all the excerpts every Monday, you know, you may not know, but if you sign up with Pastor Carlos, free of charge, every Monday the church pays him 
to break the sermon down and put in three-minute excerpts, and it usually does four to six. Uh, he separates the worship. If you only want to hear the worship, you can hear the worship. If you only want to hear the sermon, you can hear the sermon. If you want to hear excerpts, you can, and you will get it as a text, and then when you click on the link, it'll open up, and you get the notes as well. Here's the next one. God, oh, my spelling error. Sorry, it's in my notes, it's wrong. Can you correct it? God is good. Can you guys correct that? All right, God is good. Absolutely morally pure, incapable of the slightest tinge of gray. He is absolutely morally pure. He is the whitest of white. And that's not a racial comment. We're talking about the purity, the character of God. God is good. He is absolutely morally pure. He is incapable of the slightest tinge of gray. He is absolutely morally pure. He is the whitest of white. Here's the next one. Are you ready? Because this one's going to slap you in the face. Everybody say, I want it. See, I've come to learn. To love truth. I would rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. Because with the ugly truth, yeah. I would rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. Because with the ugly truth, you know where you are. And you can discern where you need to get to. But in the comfort of a lie, you're in deception. And you're going to stay in deception because you don't know you're in deception. I've come to love truth. I'd rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. So if you're ready, here comes the next one. You will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. Oh, this is good stuff. Tamara, this is good stuff. Turn to your two sons there, Jake and Mike, and tell them, boys, you better be listening to this. How many times has your mama told you this? You will only ever trust God. You will only ever be able to walk in the shadow of his greatness to the level that you perceive the goodness of God. Amen. That's why this is an area that the enemy will sabotage. Listen, you're here in church. I could give you a 10-minute sermon, throw your money in the bucket, go home. No, I want to revolutionize your concept. I want to totally transform your mind. I want to rip every religious thing out of you. And I want to put inside of you the truth and the essence of who God is. He is a good God. You will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. If you understand that God is absolutely good, then he can never have a hurtful, harmful, wicked thought about you. When he says, come, walk on water. Okay, I'm going to walk on water. In the natural, I would drown. Fat men don't float. I'm getting skinny. Actually, the truth of the matter is, if you ever do scuba diving, the more grease you have under your skin, 
trying to, I'm trying to make this as polite as possible. The more buoyant you are, and the more you have lean, stop laughing at me. The, the leaner you are and the meaner you are, the more likely you are to sink. Isn't that correct, Nelson? It, it's absolutely correct, isn't it? So I used to be a very buoyant blob. But you will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. So if he says, come, walk on water. Every one of us want to experience the miraculous of God. But you will never experience the miraculous of God until you get into a lifestyle of being able to trust him. Because you will not go through the valley of the shadow of death by choice if you don't trust him. If you don't believe he's bigger than the boogeyman. We want to live in the miraculous, but we want to stay in the natural. Ushers, escort him out. How are we going to step into the realm of the unseen? How are we going to step into the supernatural? How are we going to step into the enemy's camp and come out with a confidence that we're going to be victorious unless we understand the goodness of God? Because God is good. He is always for me. He is always with me. And he is always in me. disappoint but God never you will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God you want to walk in the miraculous you need to change your mindset and your emotional set and convince yourself emotionally and mentally that God is good Here's the next one. And stop. Be, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> the Bible says if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek and give them the opportunity to slap the other one. The last statement just slapped you. Everybody turn your cheek. I'm about to slap you again. <laughs> All right. Put it up, Tony. You will only experience the God you perceive. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. Do you remember the parable of the guy who had 10 talents, another had five, and another had one? The master comes back and he says, here's your talent, here's 10 more. Jesus says, good faithful servant. Next guy, here's your talent, here's five more. Good and faithful servant. You'll give him, we'll give him even more in eternity. The next guy says, I knew you were a hard taskmaster and that you reap where you don't even sow. And so I buried your talent in the ground. Here it is. And Jesus says, you knew that I was a hard and demanding taskmaster? That's your perception of me? And you know that I reap where I don't sow? That's how you view me. Let me tell you something. You know how you judge people? We all do. 
You know how we judge people? Here comes the third slap. You know how we judge people? We judge people based on what we know about ourselves. Mm. Ouch. He says, that's how you see me, then that's how I'll beat you. Take away even the one talent and throw him into outer darkness. You see, the concept of the goodness of God is absolutely essential. If you're ever going to have divine order in your life, the divine order starts with God at the top and your image of God at the top. You can put God at the top, but if you have the wrong image of God and you don't understand that he is morally perfectly pure and he can only wish good things for you, you're still at a divine order. Because your concept of God is totally askew. How am I doing, Dr. Paul? How am I doing, Dr. Simon? Well, then why aren't you here every week? <laughs> he lives or has lived out of the state, so praise God. I'm, I'm teasing you. Okay. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. Watch this. Here we go to the next one. That's why Jesus always said, according to your faith. Faith isn't an, an obscure thing or an abstract thing. When Jesus talked about faith, he said, have faith in God. Faith is a God issue. And that's why Jesus always said, according to your faith. Why? Faith is the judgment call you make about the character of God. And that's why Jesus always said, according to your faith. According to your faith. There were ten lepers. By the Mosaic law, lepers were not allowed outside of a leprosy colony. They had to be separated because of uh, the contagiousness of the disease. And therefore, when it's contagious, it has to be contained. And therefore, they're put in a colony. So that contagious thing is contained inside of a colony. But these ten lepers came to Jesus. They were breaking the law, so to speak. But they believed there was something in him, like this rich young ruler. Now, the Bible says that all ten of them were healed. They were cleansed, actually. It says they were cleansed. The leprosy as it was, was washed away, and there was no more leprosy. But if you understand anything about leprosy, it's like gangrene. It'll eat away members of your body, and you lose fingers, digits. You start to lose parts of your body. The Bible says that one leper came back out of the ten. And he comes back and he says, I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus said, wasn't there ten? Only one came back. See, this, good, this young man saw the value of the depth and the width of the goodness of God. He was good enough to come back and give thanks to. And Jesus said, wasn't there 10? And he says, yep. And Jesus doesn't talk about the other nine. He talks to the one. I hope 
that you'll always be the one. He doesn't bother talking about the other nine. He talks to the one. I hope that you will be the one. He says to the one who is able to perceive the goodness of Jesus. He says to him, go and be made whole. You see, when they got healed, they were made clean. Leprosy was gone, but their deformities remained. But the one was able to judge God as being awesomely good. And he came back to give thanks. And he got a second level miracle. And God said, go and be made whole. The really sad thing is, the prophet says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And we say, we quote that in the church. And we say, well, you know, thank God we know. What do we know? And to what level do we know? My question is, to what level do you know God? Does your cultural upbringing affect your opinion of God? The things your parents said, the poverty they lived in, the curse they were under, their religious strains uh, that run through your thinking, how much has it colored the image of God? You will only experience God according to how you perceive God. Can I have that last phrase up there again, guys? Thank you, Tony. That's why Jesus always said, according to your faith. Faith, Jesus always connected faith to God. He said, have faith in God. Faith is the judgment call you make about God's character. How am I doing? Anyone coming back next week? I hope so. I hope I haven't offended you, but I'm going to always tell you the truth. Some people will tell you the truth you want to hear so that they get the truth of what they want. But the truth of God is without bias, and only the truth of God will set us free. Amen. So this is an absolutely important question. Jesus stops the whole conversation to get this guy to focus on, why do you call me good? You know only God is good. Let's keep going. So the young man said, how do I get eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. You will not commit adultery, not commit murder, not steal, not give false testimony. Honor your father, honor your mother. And uh, all these I have kept since I was a boy, the, the young ruler said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You see, this young man called Jesus good but he didn't really believe he was that good. Because if he had to sell everything that he had and he was rich. Did I say he was rich? I mean, he didn't just have a horse and a chariot. He had a V8 of horses and a chariot. He had a Maserati. 
He had a Tesla plaid. Zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. I mean, this guy had all the stuff. And he called Jesus good, but when Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me, he could not perceive a God who was so good that he would give him pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. And so his goodness to acquire wealth in his eyes was greater than God's goodness to provide. And his inability to conceive of the completeness of the goodness of God robbed him of everything he had and everything he could have had. And the Bible says he walked away very sad. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. The word treasure in the Greek is the word thesaurus, a storehouse of precious things, a storehouse of precious things. Do you know that it is so true that you cannot outgive God? God is no man's debtor, so it doesn't matter whether you give him $5 or you give him $5,000 or you give him $50,000 or you give him $500,000 or you give him $5 million, he's going to outdo you. God is no man's debtor. You can't do for God without God doing more for you. It comes back to he is essentially morally pure. There is no shadow of gray. There is no tinge of gray. He is so morally good. He is so morally pure. It even affects his sense of generosity. He cannot receive more than he gives. Because there's no tinge of gray that says, oh, I like that. I want to keep getting more, more, more. Give me more. No, we're like that. And we judge God out of what we know about us. I promise you, I'm going back to listen to this sermon because half the stuff I'm saying is just flying out of my mouth. And I'm thinking, that was good. That was good. He says, if you can do this, you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have a thesaurus of precious things. You will have a treasure house. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this, Peter, James, John, who gave up their father's fishing business. Peter and Andrew had their father's fishing business. James and John had their father's fishing business. And they said, because they've given up all this stuff, it says, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, we, we, we left everything we had. I mean, our father's inheritance was tied up in that fishing village. That was our retirement. That was our daily bread. That was everything. That's how I bought my wife bouquets of flowers when I came home smelling like fish. <laughs> Peter says, we left all that we had to follow you. Jesus says, now everyone take note. What verse is this? 
I'm going to ask you again, what verse is this? And what's the next verse? I want you to take note. I'm going to show you something so cool, I'll guarantee nobody here ever saw it. I never saw it. God showed me this morning, poked me in the eye, and I started to laugh. Watch this. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, which is here, which is now, will fail to receive many times as much in this age, this life, and in the age to come. Verse 29 and verse 30. Everybody, is it verse 29 and verse 30? This story is repeated in three of the four Gospels. Mark, uh, John is the only one who doesn't repeat this story. It's been repeated in three of the four Gospels, and what's fascinating is that when they added chapters and verses to the Bible, either deliberately or by God coincidence, which is a God incidence, in all three Gospels that tell this story, this scripture that I just read is always verse 29 and 30. So God doesn't say it once in the Bible. He taps Matthew and he says, write it. He taps Mark and he says, write it. He taps Luke and he says, write it. And whoever, several hundred years later, put chapters and verse, either by human intent or by a God coincidence, this very passage is always verse 29 and, 23, uh, 29 and 30, as if God is putting a stamp on it and saying, do you get the point? I'll prove it to you. Matthew 19, verse 28, 29, 30. Jesus said to them, verse 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 29, everyone say, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Mark chapter 10, verse 29, 30 and 31. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with tests and trials and in this age and the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Three times. God makes sure this story is heard. And either by human appointment or God incidence, this response, this very important response, so that you won't have trouble remembering, it's got to be verse 29 and verse 30 in three of the four Gospels. Isn't that pretty cool? Go on, give the Lord a hand. Rewards on earth and in heaven is a kingdom concept. God tells the rich young ruler, 
Jesus tells him, so I'm good? How good do you really believe I am? Am I good to the point where I'm that better than you at amassing wealth and giving you wealth? Or are you better at making yourself wealthy than I am at making you wealthy? How am I doing, Donna? What do you think, Roger? Insightful, isn't it? The Holy Ghost does this. Can I tell you that I struggled all last night till late, and in 20 minutes, God downloaded this this morning? And I said to him, what were you thinking about? And then I had to remind myself, he's good, I'm bad. There was some nut thought in my head, <laughs> and uh, God is always good. See, I can brag about this because I know I didn't write it. I mean, it was a boom, 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 boom. The Holy Ghost just started opening this up to me in a way I've never read and never heard it ever preached. How good do you believe God is? Because to the level that you can perceive his goodness, that's the level you will live at. Ooh, that was good. To the level that you can perceive he is good, that's the level you will live at. Rewards on earth and in heaven is a kingdom concept. Matthew 16, this is my last verse. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. We have so convinced the church that you're saved by grace and not by works, lest any man should boast that we got everybody walking around singing the songs of grace and not doing a darn thing for the kingdom of God. Whether you pull out a $100 bill, a $5 bill, a $10 bill, or you pull out the biggest bill you can, pull out a penny, pull out a silver dollar, there's two sides to it every time. And while it's true, you are not saved by works, you are saved by grace, lest any man should boast. It is also true that you will be rewarded on earth and in heaven according to the good works, the morally pure things you do without a conniving, selfish, self-centered purpose for the kingdom of God. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Done. Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven, have a thesaurus of blessings and riches and wealth. The word rewards in the Greek is the word mythos, and it literally means wages, hire, pay for service, salary, reward, and recompense. Yeah, amazing. We, Madonna sang, I'm a physical girl. We live in a carnal world. And we are more governed by the carnality and the governance of how this world works. We go for a job. We're taught to uh, pitch ourselves high, ask for as much money as we can get. And we're constantly on that race to see how much can I get at this next job. We'll brag about our six figures or seven figures or what we earn or what we don't earn. Some of us will brag and some of us will lament. 
But we're not convinced about how God pays. Let me tell you, God pays best of all. You see, what stops us from getting this revelation, what stops us from even understanding the concept of rewards and heavy, oh, it can't be money, it can't be resources, it's got to be something spiritual that is so useless you're going to just stick it on a shelf. Really? Is that our concept of how good God is? If God's going to give me something, he's going to give me something relevant because he's good. He's not a cheap blighter who wants to give me a show of something, a gift, so that anyone who looks at it gives him credit. Oh, look at the token, but it has no value to me. That's not how good God is. God is good. I said it like that so you'd remember it. He's good. Missed us. He will give you wages, hire, pay for service, salary, reward, recompense. He will reward you here and he'll reward you in the world to come. We have more confidence in secular companies and organizations to give us just compensation. How come we're not selling ourselves out for the kingdom of God? God will give you recompense. God will give you your wages. If the church really understood how good God is, they'd have no trouble believing that if no matter what they sell, what they give, how much time they give, how much they throw themselves into building the church of Jesus Christ, if people really had a revelation that God is good, everybody would be investing all their time, all their money in the kingdom of God. And so many more people would be touched and ministered to and reached. But because of our Poverty, poor, miserly image of the goodness of God. We are convinced we're better, we are gooder at providing for us than God is good at providing for us. And the whole world suffers. Wow. Now I was going to show a video of uh, Rev C. This church gives money towards his missionary uh, stuff. I was going to have Joe and Lydia come up and a couple of people will run out of time. I'm going to do that next week. Joe and Lydia, wherever you are, are you good for next week? Galen, you good for next week? Uh, I think Scott. We're going to do that next week. Church, most important, how do you see God? I want you to go home and change your opinion of God. Make it bigger. Make it better. God's a good God. The devil's forever spitting in a spitting platoon to slimy up the image of God. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great disconnect in the church. We have this spiritual concept of God, and it, it doesn't always... Equate to our humanity. And something God showed me years ago. God is more perfectly human than you are. And I know that sounds blasphemous, but it's not. I'm not saying that God is human. I'm saying when God created the first perfect human, he created him in his image. And every human since then, since Adam fell, has had a fallen humanity. So who has the perfect image of humanity? God does. 
He's more human than you and I. And we attribute all of this twisted religious thinking to God. We make him out to this twisted Gumby being that we can never figure out and he never makes sense. And yet God created us humans in his image and the perfect image of humanity, which we don't have anymore, is divine. And I love the fact that I understand God not just as a spiritual entity. I understand him from a human perspective. He is the best version of the best person I've ever met. I don't know about you, but it helps me in my relationship with him. I get him. And what's really cool is he gets me. And he gets you. Stand. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Listen to me. It's not about building a congregation of numbers. It's about building the body of Christ and bringing to each person the revelation of the goodness of God. Let me, can I have your hand for a moment? Bringing to each person, filling each member and individual of God's house with the revelation of how awesome, how wonderful, how good he is. The thing we get hung up on the most is whether or not God really likes us. Does God really love me? Does God really care? Will God really hear? If you thought of the kindest, most generous, the most wonderful human being, Sometimes we can't even think of God as that good. And yet the best, kindest human being is a fallen version of the image of humanity that God created man in. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. God's good. Thank you, Kim. Patrick, I, I, I think that's so cool. It really helps me in my relationship with God. And it makes me know he gets me. My humanity comes out of his perfect humanness. He's divine. There's no question. God is not flesh. But there's an element of humanity before the fall that is a mirror image of the heart of God. He's my dad. I don't always do him proud. I don't always do him good, but he will never do me wrong. I want you to fall in love with who he is. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be opened, that you might see him. That's my prayer. Why do I preach the way I preach? I'd get paid the same amount of money if I gave a 20-minute sermon. In fact, I might have a bigger congregation. Then I could get a pay rise. <laughs> I preach as hard as I preach and as passionately as I do with the conviction that I do because I want you to know him. I want you to see him. Relationship only goes to the depth that you can trust the other person. 
And where you can't trust that other person anymore is exactly where relationship will stop and end. It won't just stop there. It will end there. I want you to see him. My prayer for me is that God keeps ripping out of me every fallen human memory of interaction with another human being so that I never cast that shadow on him. I want to see God as he really is. And I want to preach God as he really is. So that the church of Jesus Christ can look in the mirror of how awesome God is and the reflection of God will change us into that image. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Amen. You will walk in greater healings when you understand God is absolutely good. And you will be able to give away great sums of wealth when you're convinced God is really good because you'll know that his goodness to you is better than your goodness to someone else. You can't outgive him. And you can't outget him. He can get you more than you can get. So I preach this. Yes, we're going to be talking and making efforts to break the debt off of this church so that God can take us to stage two. Yeah, there's purpose. But it's not my greatest purpose. My greatest purpose is that you see him so well and so clearly without the tinges of gray of humanity's interactions that you will be able to walk by faith and not by sight and you'll be able to trust him. And if he were to call you to go to the mission field, if he were to call you to serve him in the church, if he would tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I need your time for a moment, you'd have no problem going all out because you understand what the rich young ruler never understood. He had the religious words in his mouth, but he didn't have the revelation in his heart. And too often we have the religious words in our mouth and we don't have the revelation in our heart. God is good all the time. Amen. Next week, we're going to break it down. And I'm going to call on you to seriously think about the condition of this world, where our education system's going, where widows are, where single moms are at, the whole polluted, convoluted situation of life. And I'm going to ask you to start making serious considerations about investing in the kingdom of God. Listen, I preach to maybe... 200 people here. We have 360, 70 people in this church. 200, 220 show up at any given time. My goal, my concern, my preoccupation is not preaching to thousands. 
My preoccupation is preaching my best to ones and twos. God says, you're worth it. So he's kept me here. And the last eight weeks, he's started opening the doors and invitations are coming from all over America and even overseas. But for 20 years, I have faithfully sown into you because God believes in you. I believe in what the next step of this church is. I believe in the vision. I believe in the purpose. You know why? Not because I believe in Rob Scarallo. No, that makes me want to actually resign. <laughs> but because I believe in the goodness of God. God has a plan for this house. And God wants to touch this community. There are a lot of Christians who need to experience the restoration of this kind of gospel and teaching. They need a whole rework in their religious mindsets to come into the liberty and the freedom of seeing how awesome and beautiful God is. But aside from that, there's a whole fallen, broken, messed up world. And I'm not satisfied with having a church that just comes together on Sunday. And that doesn't mean, oh, we want more meetings. No, we want to meet more needs. Are you hearing me? Yes. Somebody say amen. Yes. Well, I'm going to ask you to save that amen for next week. Because we're going to break this debt and position this church to be ready for the next level. Amen. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, that is absolutely, without question, Miriam, the most important thing. Nothing starts in God until you start with God in you. It's not about joining a church. It's about letting Jesus come into your life, come into your heart. Maybe you've been religious. I'm asking you, have you been with Jesus? Maybe you've been an altar boy. Maybe you took communion and had a pretty communion dress. Maybe you were baptized in water in a good Baptist church or a Pentecostal church. I don't care. It means squat. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I have screwed up so much, I can promise you this. As much as I love you and I trust you, I would never tell you every hidden secret in my life. But I trust God with my stuff. And you can trust God with your stuff. I'm asking you, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, today it's time to be the one. Not like the rich young ruler who went away sad but to be the one who came back and got a miracle to another level. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior and have relationship with you, while every eye is closed, would you raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand. You need to make that step. Sir, I see your hand. Ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Sir, you can put your hand down. Young lady, you can put your hand down. Who else? There are others. I know there are. God's telling me. Sir, you can put your hand down. God bless you. I see you. There are others. Who else? I know there's 
there's at least, I, I feel it in my, in my gut, in my spirit. There's another two that God is tapping you and he wants to have relationship with you. You raise your hand, that doesn't make you part of this church. You don't have to sign on to Rob Scarallo, even if you hated the way I preached. I'm talking about you and Jesus. One last time, anyone else want to ask Jesus in their heart? Okay. Father, bless them all. Now, everyone, repeat after me. Those of you that raise your hand, I want you especially. Everyone's going to pray it, but I want you to pray it. Young lady, I want you to pray it. Everyone's going to pray it at the same time. God knows who you are, and so when you pray it with intention, God will hear you. And I'd love for the two of you to come talk to me straight after church. Okay, I know I got sweaty, but I still got some good smelling stuff on me. I'm okay. Everyone else is going to let them come to me first. Now let's all pray. Everyone close your eyes. Dear God, I thank you that you're not religious. You're not stiff and stodgy. You're real. I love real. And God, I'm asking you right now to get real with me. Jesus Christ, come into my heart right now forgive me I made a ton load of mistakes we all have but I've made mine and I take ownership but I'm also going to release them to you here are my failures here's everything I'm ashamed of here's all of my sin I don't want you to just forgive me I want relationship. Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into my existence. Have relationship with me as I endeavor to have relationship with you. Dear God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being real. And coming after me, I believe you heard me today. You've accepted me today. And Jesus Christ now lives inside of me. And my sins are forgiven. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give them a big round of applause.